Waka wah wah. <laughs> Maybe you could just give us a little drum riff while you're here. <laughs> so the usual left or right routine. Cable left. Is that yeah, always is that just like left. A, an international standard? But you've got different earphones. That's true. I've got the posh ones. Yeah, you have. Thank you. Everyone ready? Yeah. We're all ready. We're all ready. Good. Silence. Hey, welcome <laughs> everyone uh, to another Retail Craft podcast. Uh, it's cold outside after the long hot summer, so we're all squashed in the lovely studio here, keeping ourselves uh, warm by body heat and brain power alone. An odd mix today. We have cake and champagne and pain. We have James Bond's shorts. Uh, we have Australia. Uh, all of these will somehow be linked uh, together in a little while. But first of all, let's just get the hellos out of the way. Hi, Ian Jindal, Internet Retailing and Retail X. Uh, hi, I'm Jamie, uh, the general director at Orla Barbara. Lovely. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you. Well, this is going to be easy because I'm Jamie as well. Jamie Merrick from Salesforce. Jamie, hello. Welcome again. Hi. Hi, Annabelle. I'm SVP of e-commerce at Sweaty Betty. Hooray. I'm uh, Martin Shaw, Head of Research, Internet Retailing and Retail X. Good. So that's all of us uh, welcomed. So apart from the Jamie Jamie conundrum, uh, let's ignore that for now. And uh, firstly, welcome Annabelle. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're all sucking our stomachs in and trying to flex our glutes at the thought of uh, sweating and betting. But um, for anybody who hasn't uh, caught on to the athleisure, lycra, yoga, fitness uh, phenomenon that is sweaty betting, can you just tell us a bit about the business? Uh, yeah, so Sweaty Betty is a 20-year-old business. It's an activewear brand designed by women for women. And our core purpose is about empowering women through fitness and beyond. So it's not just about pulling your tummy in um, <laughs> and being slightly intimidated um, by people lifting weights. It's about how we help women feel amazing. Um, and that may be about looking great, but it's and looking great whether you're working out or just going for coffee, um, but really kind of combining those two things together, being both stylish and active. Mm. And uh, there's also quite a lot of humour there as well, sort of, uh, you know, no pain, no champagne and so on, some interesting fun slogans. Definitely. So kind of balance, and, and as we call it, green juice and cocktails is one of our, one of our values. Um, and it's definitely really important to the business because actually most people don't have a super fitness and, you know, very, very single-minded purpose. We're not professional athletes, but we want to look good. People enjoy working out and the benefits it brings kind of wide, more widely than that. Um, but it's also, it's quite a British sense of humour. So definitely there's a tongue-in-cheek and a, and a quite frequent play on words that we like to bring in that really is just part of the brand and that element of, of humour and balance. Mm, and in a way that... Uh also comes to life, not only in the stores where you've got the vinyls and uh, you know, your uh, wonderful store staff really bring that to life as well, uh, but also on the website where, you know, it, it's not so much a website, it's more like a party with uh, <laughs> you know, all the activities, introducing the teams and so on. So there is really a, a British vibe there. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's also about, again, another value. Um, it's personal, it's family, it's still a founder-run business. So Simon and Tamara started the business 20 years ago and they're still there involved in the day-to-day. -day. And so that's very much kind of part of 
who we are um, and unfortunately brought to life on the website through our excellent copywriter and a lot of the other content that we have. You, you're not just UK though, we, we talk British, but uh, where else are you? So we are, from a retail perspective, we are in the UK and in the US. Um, the US uh, between the East Coast and the West Coast with very little in between, um, and UK. So that's our kind of retail footprint. And then e-com, we have four sites, UK, US, EU and Australia. But basically anyone from anywhere can shop with us um, on the UK website and we will deliver it. Great. Uh, brings us nicely on to e-com. So um, what do you do? So I run the e-com team and I guess my remit is firstly about, you know, driving the sales through that channel. Um, it is our fastest growing channel and will probably in the not too distant future be our biggest channel. And it's it's our kind of engine for growth. It's how we build that international footprint. It's how we get to new customers. So that's that's the kind of day to day. The brief that to a certain extent I've given myself is how do we how do we make the website and the digital presence as good as the other channels? So the fantastic experience that you've all already mentioned that in store and our store staff definitely bring to life um, through service and through that sense of humor and through the product. How do you bring that into to life in digital? And then the other aspect is our actual product itself. So the kind of beautiful technical, which is one of our, you know, one of our brand um, pillars is, well, what does that mean in a digital world? Because when you get to touch and feel our product and you wear it, it feels amazing. And I'm speaking to a room full of men, um, but hopefully there are some women listening who know what I mean. But actually, we've kind of got to do the same for our website and all of our digital touch points. So it's got to be beautiful and technical and perform. So be really simple and easy to use, but also bring to life that that kind of brand um, that we have. Well, I think you've just described all of us then, beautiful, technical, made to perform. <laughs> just about to say that, Gene. Yeah, quite right. But, so different age groups of your customers, do you find that the younger ones are more accepting of what they're given, as it were, online? You're talking about that, trying to convey the experience they would get in the store. You know, are, are there some myths that we can bust here that say that actually customers do like to touch and feel whatever age they are or, you know, that yeah. sort of thing? Um. So I think... It's not necessarily an age thing. There are definitely kind of different customers and they shop in different ways, but it's not all about age. Actually, we find that some of our kind of slightly older customers uh, shop online a lot because it's more convenient. Mm. You know, they can get things delivered to them, they can try them on, they can return them. Um, and so it's it's about convenience versus, you know, some of your younger audience that might live in London and pop in to get their click and collect on the way home. So it's not, it's not about age, I think there's definitely, you know, the touchy-feely nature and the experience. But actually, when you get it at home, and, and again, one of the kind of challenges that we need to take on is increasingly as people don't walk into our stores or our customer base grows and a higher proportion may not come in very often, how do you get that through the kind of the unboxing, the trying on at home? You know, how do you make it that premium experience that means that they definitely want to hang on to the product and they understand that brand value? So you've just set up the question. So I'm just going to ask it back to you because <laughs> you said you had two uh, priorities. One was to make the web experience live up to the store. So when I look at your website, it, it's absolutely fine. It's clean, it's fast, it's got lovely product imagery. I can find your stores, I can see the classes, a bit of social, tick, job done. Uh, 
clearly you don't think that's job done. So what what is there that you want to develop in the digital domain that would live up to the store experience? What 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 is there? So. I guess, firstly, different perspective. Uh, it's never going to be job done. Um, you know, th- there's always room to make it better and to improve it. So so one of that is the things that you might not even notice. But actually, when you're looking at, you know, kind of uh, viewing sessions from customers or listening to user feedback, you kind of understand that there are just rough edges that we can smooth out. So there's that almost unseen improvement that you see in the numbers, but not necessarily kind of in what you're looking at. And am I too naughty to ask for uh, an example of a smoothed out rough corner that you're pleased with that maybe we wouldn't have noticed ourselves? Uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. Again, a bit of background. We relaunched our website um, just at the end of July onto Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Um, nice at, voice. Yes, but other platforms are available. <laughs> yes. I hasten to add this. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that was the, 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 well, it was the culmination of a big project, but as I told the team from the outset, that it was the beginning and not the end. Mm-hmm. So what we found is that we had a little mini basket, as I'm sure you've seen in lots of websites, that you add something in and it drops down and tells you that it's added to basket. Um, now, on desktop, this worked fine, and on mobile, it dropped down and covered the rest of your screen, and it took kind of four to five seconds. And it's just that that was too long. Mm. As a customer, I couldn't then move on beyond that page. I couldn't get it to retract. And so we just made some really quick improvements to that so that you can keep shopping and you're not waiting for a basket to recede. Mm. Um, so if you're, it's kind of the difference of... Sometimes when you're just looking through, trying to observe versus when you're actually using, just adding and and especially we were coming into sale and, you know, sale, you don't want to hold anyone up with their shopping. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that we've been looking for, that there's always room to optimise. So, but to go back to your question, like those are, that's the kind of ongoing just becomes a constant way of working. It's not a project. It's just some the way that you operate. Um, I think the other areas that I'm I'm kind of looking at is so. Firstly, I've already mentioned it. Kind of service. So, what are all those elements to both around delivery and fulfillment and returns, but also around helping the customer on their day to day or those questions they might have that they would normally ask an assistant mm. in store, how do you yeah. answer them online? How do you anticipate them and answer them? There's the piece around product. So actually, just through the visuals and the product imagery, it's about the fabric and the texture and that really granular detail. So how do we keep making that better? And then finally, there's the kind of styling and the outfit building piece, which again, when you're trying on in a shop and someone says, oh, and have you tried this hoodie or have you, you know, tried, you need new trainers, have you tried these ones on? And you kind of end up with an outfit when all you went in was for, for the vest top. Mm. How do we do that uh, yeah. virtually where you don't have someone encouraging you that actually it looks incredible um, because you're just seeing a, a flat image and kind of adding it to but your Especially, basket. I think, if you're, if you're not used to not just the look, but how it feels. So I don't know anybody who doesn't think they have bulges uh, in the wrong place. And I know that my kids just go nuts and they see me in my cycling lycra and they just can't believe that a man has so little shame that he would parade in public like that. And I'd say, well, it feels better than wearing baggy cotton. So you must have an education piece. As, as your age group grows, from people who may be used to wearing skinny jeans who maybe haven't exercised for years, you've got a broad span, people who are body conscious, self-conscious. How do you get over, if you like, this permissioning of 
what it should feel like, how how they should feel wearing the clothes and exercising. Uh, it seems you've got a, an educative role as well as maybe just a buy two of these. Yeah, but I so so yes, in that it's definitely not just about buy two of these. But some of those things are not you can't tell someone they've got to learn it for themselves. So actually, what you want to do is encourage them to try it. And once you try the leggings on, you know why. And actually, an anecdote, I sent some to my mum, who's 75, thought she might try a pair of leggings for the first time for Pilates. Um, first first feedback she gave me was that she hadn't been brave enough to wear them to her class. And then the next week, she told me that she tried them on, but they were much tighter than she expected. Um, and then she did actually wear them to class and got lots of very complimentary feedback right. um, and has been wearing them ever since. So it is actually the, the amount of times you tell them doesn't necessarily it's a, it's about actually getting them to try and for some customers definitely the safe place will be in their own home no one no one need know that you've tried on different sizes and sent a couple back or yeah. different styles so it it is you know that's kind of where the internet is wonderful that people have a bit more safety um but Sweaty Belly's always been a good place that's sort of driven that community feel, I think, when you've observed yeah. it over the last 20 years. That must really help with regard to how you style things, what you make, how you position it, all that sort of stuff. Do you, are you able to actually take a lot of what's been said and use it positively? Yeah, so absolutely. I guess just if if you're asking, do we listen to that customer feedback and feed it back into products or is it about well, that? Well, anything, we... but, you know, whatever the feedback may be, whether it's service-related, product-related, you know, marketing-related, I don't know. Are you able to kind of roll it in and make it better? And yeah, focused? so we do, and again, historically, this has been a lot through retail. We listen to customers a lot. We have regular sessions that the managers all feed back and actually customer care and the e-commerce team all kind of feed into those same sessions that we learn about what people are saying about the products. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely just built in to products. It's built into how we talk to customers. Um, even some things, so a recent example from the States is lots of customers want pockets. So we're able to design a pair with pockets and then talk to those customers and say, we've listened, we've heard you, here you go. What do they put in their pockets? Just out of interest. Cup holders. <laughs> Cup of coffee. That's what you need, isn't it? Um, it keep you warm. Your phone, your keys. Ah, those things. You know, yes. those things that you can't live without. That's it. Yeah. Right. We won't uh, take a poll of who has a man bag around the table then. <laughs> no I, comment. I don't think you should do it. Yeah. Um, now, when you relaunched your site, uh, it was called uh, the Digital Flagship, mm -hmm. which sounds like you're really setting that up to be... Um, the biggest store, the best store, the place you see the best of the brand. Uh, what what makes it a flagship rather than solely a website? What's, what's the aspiration and the experience driver behind that? So, I mean, it does start with what you've just said. It is our, it's our biggest store that gets the most visits, that, that sells the most product. So, you know, actually in, in the simplest sense of the world, it is our flagship. But it's also, it's it's kind of the home of the brand. How do you bring those things to life that we've talked about that are not just about buying, you know, buying a vest top or buying a hoodie. It's about really understanding the brand and that kind of the, the purpose of empowering women. Um, and then all of the other richer content that we have that um, is around, we've got workouts, you can book classes. There's loads of loads of, of blog content, you know, whether it be about, 
stuff that's more about our kind of brand and the storytelling and how how we design the collections through to kind of great kind of well-being content mm -hmm. you know where we'll bring in experts to talk more about their kind of uh, subject matters so it is you know it's it's all of those things it's it's all of those things already but actually there's still more to do so that people really find them easily that it really adds value to their experience while not necessarily getting in the way or interrupting it and i think it's the conundrum that most uh, certainly online retailers have is you want to we we have to differentiate ourselves through telling that story and we have a fantastic story to tell but actually you don't want to make it distracting or disruptive when some customers come in with a kind of single-minded purpose mm. Now, I think of single-minded purpose. Uh, we were talking earlier on about um, careers and how you found your way to Sweaty Betty. So long stint, senior roles at Tesco, segue into agency world with uh, Ecomare at the time, track forward, ta-da, at Sweaty Betty. So um, frontline, smaller business in terms of headcount, but a really good uh, footprint with a customer. How would you describe working there? What what's what's great about it, and you know how has that changed, if you like, from maybe the early days of ecom? So three questions in one. That's ten. Yeah, three three questions <laughs> in one, and I'm now trying to cast my mind back to the early days of ecom, which seems a very long time ago. Uh, so uh, to answer the first one, what's it like working there? Uh, it is so. For me, it was in part about the opportunity to go and work for a brand that I was already a kind of loyal advocate of. You know, it's a brand that I loved and bought into. So actually having that kind of emotional connection, as it were, as well as then going to do a, a role that kind of fitted exactly, you know, if I'd written out my perfect role, you know, that the, the, a lot of the factors are in there. It's also, it is a small business. So um, kind of in the support office, there are, I think, 90 of us. Mm -hmm. So it's it's small and considerably so compared to my previous retail experience, which was very, very large at Tesco. But actually, it's a, a culture that everyone is keen to get things done. There's still, I think, part of having Simon and Tamara still involved. There's still, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is still there. There's still uh, a kind of appreciation for people wanting to try new things and get things done quickly. And if you've got a good idea, the kind of support to go and follow it through. And that's the combination of the kind of small business that there isn't a distinct role to do every single thing. Mm -hmm. You can kind of plow your own path. So there's that piece. You're working with a product that you love, um, you know, and so it's really easy to think about, well, how do we talk about this? How do we try and sell more? What should we be saying about it? And and then the fitness piece, which is also kind of personal in that I'm active, uh, enjoy classes and running around and, and, and always have been. So it was something that kind of fitted with me personally as well. And the fact that it's a 20 minute walk to work. 20 minute long stretch to work. I don't yeah. um, to, just to close off then, uh, the we're seeing a lot of movement away from generic retailers to marketplaces on the one hand, get everything easily, one click, one basket, job done, and brands uh, because of that connection uh, between the customer and the product rather than the person who's doing the selling. Um, if you were talking to uh, my recalcitrant uh, teenage daughters now, would you be able to say to them, 
that they should ever work for a brand they don't love or a business where they don't love the product? Are we in an age where you need that love to be happy or can they just go and crank the handle and, you know, make sales? I think you need to, like, you have to be engaged and love your job. That doesn't always have to be the brand. And certainly, you know, Tesco can be a polarising brand, but A, I learned a hell of a lot there. And B, it's absolutely fascinating. I couldn't have learned what I learned anywhere else. Mm. So so while I wasn't always, you know, grocery shopping, the basic level is a is a kind of habitual, it's a it's a hygiene activity. But actually the way that it works and the way that the business is run is, you know, no end of fascinating. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's not kind of as black and white as that. You've got to be fully engaged in what you're doing. Or certainly, you know, on a personal level, that's how you do the best job you can. But it doesn't always start out with, I love this brand. Great. Well, I'm glad in your case it has done today. So thanks for uh, sharing all of that with us and ending on some words of wisdom there. So let's move now, sun sand, sea, spies, the glamorous world offered up to us by Oliver Brown. So, uh, Jamie, tell us a little bit about Oliver Brown, just in case uh, our sure. listeners aren't, uh, aren't fully up to speed. Sure. So, uh, Oliver Brown was founded 11 years ago. And uh, initially, it was founded by a gentleman called Adam Brown, who wanted to make a short that you can swim in. So, going from the pool to the bar, without feeling embarrassed on the type of shorts you were wearing. I guess as the brand grew, uh, so did the offering of product. So 40% of our sales come from swim shorts and the rest come from other products, uh, such as polo, uh, shirts, t-shirts, um, trousers, jackets, etc. Yeah, so we have different fabrications from, from toweling to linen to uh, merino wool. So yeah, 11 years in the making and, and more to go. Mm, and uh, it's one of those things where uh, you say shorts, but I was reading uh, some interviews with Adam and he was saying you know, around the pool, the women in the group were looking great, but all the men did not, either in overly baggy or overly tight. So, I mean, these these aren't just shorts, are they? No, they're, they're tailored shorts. So they're very kind of smart shorts. I guess when, when Adam was, when Adam created the Ola Bar Brown, there were kind of three types of, of, of you know, swim attire that, that, that men could wear. There was the surf shorts, such as Billabong. There was the sport uh, briefs, such as Speedo. And then you had the generic kind of swimming trunks, which, which every kind of other brand um, made. Um, so ours are tailored. So there, there are 60 elements that go into making this product. Yeah, it is designed in, in, in London and made in Europe. So it's a great product. Good. And uh, didn't we spot a certain famous spy wearing them? Yes, we have. <laughs> yes. Obviously, he can't say any more due to uh, MI6 listening in on us. So uh, let's just thank them for their uh, service and carry on. Now, uh, tell us a bit about your role then. So you're director of digital. Yep. You're not actually sewing the shorts. No, I'm not. That's great. So no. tell, tell us about your role. So I look after um, e-com as a, as a first channel, as a lead channel. Uh, look after customer acquisition through digital uh, means. That doesn't mean that it only goes towards online, but it also goes towards shops. Uh, shops are very important to us, so driving footfall there is, is really important. Uh, I look after CRM, so a great CRM team that makes sure that they're engaging customers, whether they're buying from online or or digital, or, sorry, or, or foot, 
Oh, in the stores, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> apologies, I need some water. Uh, and I also look after customer services, uh, which is a, a great place to be in. So if I, if I make a mess on one side, I'm mopping on the other side. <laughs> happy days for me. And just how big is the team? So I think you're about, is it 20 stores or did I make that up? So there are about, uh, just bear with me a second, otherwise marketing will be very upset with me. Uh, so we have 25 stores worldwide. 25, yeah. So that's a lot of stores and they're sort of growing quite quickly because I seem to remember not long ago there weren't, there weren't, there were only a handful. Correct. So, so I guess your job has just got harder with trying to pull all that information together. Harder or, or easier. Or easier. Yeah. I guess easier because there, there are more kind of people aware of the brand. Mm -hmm. uh, Really good shops, really great shops, very good you know, team, teams and in, in, in shops over there. So, for example, we're opening two stores in Miami very soon, and that's a huge opportunity for us because we're reaching out to you know people who might not not have heard about us. In terms of making it harder, it's it's a challenge maintaining the one to the one to one kind of personalized uh, experience. Mm. Um, we still do it; it just gets a bit harder. Mm. So you mean pulling all that data from those shops and then your people who shop online as well and you know Correct. all the classic issues that we have. Yeah, a lot of work. So, and you, I mean, you know, you're 25 stores, you said, yeah. and the business is going well. Yeah. But I'm sure you wouldn't say you had the team. You always want more, right, in of terms course. of team size and all that sort of stuff. So how do you, how do you make it sort of stick and work? To I wouldn't say necessarily uh, team size because it's great to build an army, but actually if, if, if there isn't focus or the right systems in place, then, then there are problems there. I guess it's, it's, it's about doing things right, doing things a tailored way, such as the brand is tailored. We make sure that everything we, we do is, is the three core values, which is, you know, we're tailored, we're, we're brave and we're vibrant. So make sure that every single touch point that the customer engages with us, we are kind of, you know, just channeling the, the, the brand values across, uh, making sure that we leave nobody behind, whether they're retail or online mm. or franchise stores. And so how does being brave uh, reflect with the customer? Because we heard Annabelle a few minutes ago talk about her brand and the British sense of humour, yeah. whereas when I look at the website and look at the product, it's a much more neutral uh, tone of voice, much more restrained. So I'm interested. You said brave. How how do I experience that? There's a brave element to it. So one of the easy examples to give you is we have a great line of of, of shorts for some the, the bulldog, which comes in a in a vibrant kind of very colourful um, photographic print. So that's a rather brave uh, mm. approach towards what we're doing. Uh, if you look at we just. Uh, a year ago, we had our aqua shoes, so shoes you can swim in. It was a very kind of brave approach towards um, people didn't didn't think of, of of launching a shoe you could swim in, and actually it's become one of our best sellers. Mm. Yeah. So so the product is brave. Uh, in terms of if you go in our stores, it's you, you see it's quite it's quite a, a bold statement. So you yes. know the, the site, it's hard it's hard to try and get all the kind of three values across on the site uh, in an equal manner, but it's certainly kind of. It's a very uh, a brave uh, product. Interesting. Now, it seems as if the world is going beach and intimate wear mad. So, you know, there's a lot of focus at the moment on uh, whether it's the catwalk, whether it's uh, in terms of some of the brands that are coming out. I mean, you know, it was in the news that uh, you'd been acquired by Chanel, so congratulations on that. But one of your sort of sister-cousin brands would be uh, Eris, which is very high-end laundry and so on. Is there something that um, that we've missed that's made beachwear hot? What, what's behind this? Uh, is it an explosion because I'm just last to notice? Or is there something really changing in terms of uh, a focus on this 
beach life? It has kind of exploded. So I've been there for three years and past three years I've definitely seen lots of new brands emerging. Yeah, I guess our, our brand promises feel summer, mm. um, which is not just a a season, but it's a, it's a kind of a feeling, a feeling of happiness. But yeah, the world has kind of changed. Uh, you know, people like uh, going on, on holidays uh, more than you know, twice a year, three times a year. People like to dress nicely uh, by the pool, in the resort, out of the resort. I think people are more conscious about what they're wearing when they're swimming. Mm. I guess the good thing about being an existing brand, and I don't know if it's the same for Sweaty Betty, but you've been around for you know a few years and you're established and people know about you, but then you have a lot of competition, I guess, from brands that come up from nowhere, mm-hmm. Insta shops, so on and so forth. What can you do to sort of counteract that effect? Is it just a product execution thing or is it? do you think it's more of a marketing approach? I guess it's it's marketing. It's also level of service because even not giving world class service, you can have the best marketing in the world, but mm. you're not you're not you're not delivering. Um, and really good product. Uh, you know, I'm very I'm very proud of our product. I sit next to the design team and and seeing it being constructed mm. uh, and developed is is I guess I'm very lucky. So uh, I guess there's many elements that, that that kind of push your brand forward, not just marketing alone. Yeah. I was just going to, uh, the other, th- you know, obviously we do both have, we've got that retail footprint mm. and, and it is actually where you can have that real and physical experience and how do you make the most of that, whether it's, you know, us holding classes in store, how do you get people in because that's something that's actually takes longer and is harder mm. to to recreate. Mm. So kind of it's all of those elements, but looking at where you have uniqueness and can exploit it. The strength you've got is in the, what you're bringing to the party, not just a website, and because it's a lot more than what is that what you're saying, mm-hmm. and and that's yeah. why you think for, with longevity and great product, which of course your both your yeah. brands have, you're going to overcome that competition to an extent that way, right? Yeah. Yep. Now another quote uh, here again from Adam is: uh, "You have to aspire to be best in class. Mediocre won't cut it." So lovely quote. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we all agree with that. Luckily, uh, I don't have to deliver on that. So what does that mean? For you and the digital team, I guess everything we do, we question it: is it fit for the customer? Is it the best? I know is the best output that we can provide to the customer. If it's no, you then recreate what you what you're working on. So yeah, and that's not just the digital team; that's the whole business. Uh, it's incredibly driven, incredibly aspirational. Um, so yeah, everything we do, we do, you know, strive to to be perfect. Great. So what's next in your quest for perfection then? So when you go back to the office, this sure. no Negronis uh, for you, I'm afraid. So yep. back to the office. Uh, you know what's what's exciting you uh, for the next phase of development? Um, for I, I guess for for online, it's it's make sure that the basics are are are, are perfect, as you mentioned, um, tweaking bits and bobs on the side, which aren't necessarily big changes for the customer, um, can produce a very big big yield uh, and improve customer experience. So it's looking at what we have. Uh, and make sure the customer offering is is, is spot on. Hmm. On a slight process point of view, how do you split up your time between sort of business as usual tweaks, let's call them that, we've been calling yeah. it all day, that, and then projects, you know, do you 80-20, you know, how do you, how do you cut it up? I'd like to say that there's there's a formula to it or, <laughs> or that each day or each each kind of season has, has its own kind of ratio. Usually it's about 30% BAU mm-hmm. and then uh, 70% planning. Yeah, and the projects I, I guess are reasonably large ones, are they? Yeah. Okay. So, so the next thing we're looking at is how to optimize, um, you know, the checkout process. Mm. We, we think we have quite a, a, a decent checkout process, but you know, then again, looking at sessions, 
of customers. You can see where the pinch points are and, and how can you make it easier uh, for people worldwide to, to transact as easy as possible through through mobile. Yeah. And that's more than just payments, I guess. Correct. There's a lot more. Yeah. It's the little word worldwide as well. Just slip that in. Yeah, <laughs> right. it is. It's a, it's a global brand, so it's, yeah. it comes with its own uh, challenges and opportunities. And, um, you know, when I was doing a bit of Googling earlier, uh, whenever you enter All About Brand, um, you see all of your tier one retail partners, you know, the Farfetches, the Mr. Porter. So not only do you have to be great, but you've got all of your retail partners who are themselves great to training the customer that that's the minimum they would expect Correct. as well. So, so it's hard the game. Great. Well, I couldn't wish anyone better to be Thank doing you. it. Thank you for um, joining us, Jamie. So we've gone from fitness, style at the pool. Let's keep with the uh, that theme and uh, welcome Martin, <laughs> who has Australia on his mind in so many ways. Uh, what have you been up to in Australia, Martin? We've built our first performance index along the same lines that we did the UK top 500 and the Europe top 500. We have an Australia top 250. And that's something which allows us, I suppose, to benchmark what's different about that market to other markets and to, um, at least at this initial stage, just say, you know, what, what kind of thing, what sort of opportunities are there in that market and and how are the retailers there coping with all the different changes they're experiencing? And, you know, there are a dozen and one changes, aren't there? It is a, a very vibrant uh, market at the moment. Yeah, so over the past just 10 years or so, a lot of external retailers have um, set up shop there. Not just online, we're talking about physical stores. So companies like H&M or, or Zara have... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are suddenly just on on every shopping center. So that has really led to incumbents having to change the way they operate, uh, which makes it a very interesting market to study. And now, the reason we did Australia wasn't just because you lived there, and so we thought we may as well cover our overhead somehow, but it was because so many of the brands we've seen in Europe were either delivering to, getting traffic from, or setting up in Australia. So we saw that to begin with, um, came onto our radar, uh, and then out of the blue, there was a whole shakeup where they said, OMG, Amazon's coming, what's going to happen now? So, you know, the fox is in the hen house. Um, what's happened with Amazon and uh, the Australian market? Catastrophe, change, wonder? Uh, how's that panning out? Well, there's definitely a lot of talk and, and a lot of um, planning happening. At the moment, there's not too much we can see on the surface that's shifted. The you, you rightly mentioned that brands were quite an interesting factor. We tracking about twenty percent of the top two hundred and fifty are, are direct selling brands, and that compares to the UK top five hundred, where it's about thirty four percent. So there's a question about whether that will increase the way we've seen year on year the number of brands in the. UK top 500 and Europe top 500 increasing. Uh, But then the other big question is, of course, marketplaces. And what we notice in, say, the UK market is that we have a a marketplace penetration of 44%. And we measure that as unique web visits to a marketplace as opposed to the rest of the top 500. 
And in the European single market, that's um, 47% <laughs> marketplace. In Southeast Asia, which we also measure, that's 46%. So it's, it's very consistent. But then in Australia, it's 28%. So we have to say why. Yeah. So why, like, market, first of marketplaces are like eBay, historically, is a big part of Australian e commerce. Um, but why is it much less than you see in other places? And is that the opportunity that Amazon identified? Mm. And is that what they're currently looking at? Uh, recreating, but as I as I mentioned, we we've tracked. So Amazon's been active for a time of publication six to nine months in terms of having that local customized offering, and we haven't seen too much significant change. So mm. um, we really have to monitor it for at least another year to to get any that sounds feel like a on that. But... <laughs> was, wasn't there, there was quite a lot of expected doom and gloom from department stores, particularly. I mm. think as well I understood from the Australian market. But you're saying you still there's no vertical you can pick out that's actually fared worse than the average, which is don't know yet. Department stores have it quite tough, but perhaps a more significant problem for them at the moment is companies like I previously mentioned H&M and Zara who are coming in. Previously, there weren't the, that sort of company competing with uh, the local department stores. And so I, I think You've got department stores like uh, David Jones, which is mm -hmm. the oldest continuously operating department store, very much historic. And, and actually, right now, it, it's got to innovate and it's got to compete in a, in a way which it hasn't before. And it's on the one side having that difficulty with the marketplace, perhaps shoppers going first there before going to their website. And then at the other hand, it's having competition from those um, uh, brands. And if there's a third hand, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got uh, some competition uh, from uh, those uh, big fast fashion retailers. I mean, there's some research we did called Shopper First stuff we did. We it described exactly that scenario. And it was, you know, the, the, the data looked at a number of things, you know, interviews and data that we've got for, with Salesforce. But the point was is that retailers are stuck there, squeezed in the middle, not particularly known for anything uh, in terms of, you know, product or service or whatever. Great with perhaps getting a first buy, but after that, what do they do? Yeah. People tend to go off to the brand or they go to a marketplace if all they're looking for is the value uh, as opposed mm. to the service. So a tough place to be. I think one of the, the challenges is that retailers have typically considered themselves to be a horizontal business. Mm. So they look at themselves, I'm a department store. Then they look at other department stores and say, I hate you, I'm going to compete with you. Or I'm in women's apparel, I'm going to compete <laughs> with you. So it's always been about elbowing other people out of the way. Whereas I think what we're seeing now is that some players are vertical. They're saying, you know what? The delivery here is terrible. The operations are terrible. The customer presentations are terrible. I'm going to do all of them now. And I think the big uh, change that I think uh, Amazon is going to drive in the market is the size, confidence, and resources to change the vertical model of retail without worrying about am I a this or a that, not the format. And we see this with the brands as well, where a brand comes in and says, this is how I want to behave. I'll have my shop, my website. I'll sort out my distribution. And so they've had more confidence, I think. So I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether the formats that have grown up over tens of years are going to survive these vertical changes in the market. I've also got a question around around service and delivery, because I and my my anecdote may be outdated, but 
in the past it being quicker for someone to order a bike from Wiggle and have it delivered from the UK than it would be to order one from a local, geographically local um, e-com retailer and have it delivered. Has that is that out of date? Is that improved? Is Amazon forcing improvement there? And the other new entrants, because I mean that's fundamental to yes. the success in e-com in the UK. It's geography. Definitely, we're noticing that the difference isn't as big as as we'd expected. And I think that's because we started we started our full-on measuring basically at the same time that all of that discussion was happening. So quite possibly two years ago, it was different. From now, we've got a benchmark which shows that we've got uh, median. Uh, delivery time in terms of a standard offering that's about five to seven days across the 250. And so that's not too dissimilar to, say, the Europe Top 500, which covers a largely similar geographic area. And we, we did expect to see more regional variation. So we, we measured each each state capital, what's the delivery time, expecting that retailers would have for the most of the top 250 have a warehouse in a couple of states but not be able to ship. But we actually found that only uh, 12% differentiate delivery timeframes mm. um, on that basis, which, which, is, which is quite interesting. And those that do are delivering it much more quickly. So the median time is, is half what you would find for those that, mm. that don't. Well, look, very exciting. So it's our first uh, line in the sand for the Australian market. And all the feedback we've had uh, throughout the footprint stage uh, just shows a market that's not only braced for change, but uh, seems to be very upbeat and keen to crack on with it. So we're looking forward to extending our coverage there. Martin, thanks so much for that. If our listener can't wait to get uh, her hands on it, then internetretailing.net slash rxau. Uh, be straight to the website where you can download it uh, as free as the proverbial free of charge. So that'd be great. Well, look, our time is at an end. We've covered Beachbody, Australia, Bond, the lot. So uh, I don't know how we held it together, but uh, thanks, uh, Annabelle, Jamie, Jamie, Martin, and until next episode, uh, don't forget to subscribe and recommend this to all your friends. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Good job. Nice. Yeah. So, all right, I'll see you outside in the uh, disclaimer before I left. All right. Oh, are we back in 30 minutes? Yeah, you've got a few minutes, that's it. But uh, we'll get a shorter line from our past. Yeah.